Welcome to the Future of Internal Communication podcast. I'm Jen Sproul, CEO of the Institute of Internal Communication. Our organisations face an onslaught of challenges across the social, economic, political and environmental spectrum. The systems we've used to support 21st century ways of life are weakening. The way we work requires dramatic transformation in response to these challenges. Internal communication is a crucial function that helps organisations achieve lasting change. This podcast explores the intersection between internal communication and the future of work. Every conversation is curated to help internal communicators better understand the risks and leverage opportunity. We really hope you enjoy listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Future of Internal Communication podcast. As always, I am your host, Jen Sproul, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kat Barnard. Unfortunately, Dominic can't join us today, but that's okay. I'm sure me and Kat will, will, will strive through without him on this day. But we're really thrilled in this episode to welcome Katie McCauley, who I'm sure many of our listeners know, who is Managing Director of AB and um, also has been hosting our own podcast, the Internal Communication Podcast, for over four years. And I had the pleasure, I think Katie, when I joined and became Chief Exec of IOYC, which I think is something like seven or eight years ago now, (laughs) Katie was one of the very first people I had the pleasure of meeting. So it's lovely to come full circle. And Katie, thank you so much for, for sparing the time to come and talk to us today. Thank you for inviting me. So to kick off, so one of the things we wanted to talk to you about is some, I know you've been doing, you've developed a particular communication audit tool called the the asset test and really wanted to get a little bit more, can you explain a little bit more about, before we delve into some of the insights on that, what is the actual asset test? Can you explain how that works? Absolutely. It is a qualitative research methodology And actually, I'm going to give all the secrets of ACID test away now so that anyone can go away and do this in their own organisation. They won't need us to do it, although we have been doing it, I think, for about 20, maybe even 25 years now. So whenever anyone asks me about ACID test, I always have in the back of my mind that George Bernard Shaw quote, which I know you and many of your listeners will know. The biggest problem with communication is the illusion it's taken place. So with ACID test, what we're really testing for is, was there actually an exchange of information or ideas? Did you actually achieve shared understanding? And of course, for that, you have to do qualitative research. So the way it works, I say anyone can do it, you come up with a set of questions and you ask a diverse cross-section of people throughout the hierarchy, the same questions in the same way. You start with your chief executive and then you try to ask exactly the same questions of each member of her management team. And then, as I say, a diverse cross-section of people throughout the hierarchy. The key to us to test is you are not asking questions about newsletters, the intranet, email overload. You're stepping back and asking the bigger picture questions. So what does success look like for the organisation? What are the obstacles to success, both the internal and external ones? What's the biggest opportunity or challenge internal comms should tackle? Do people feel like they have a voice? So you're asking those kind of big picture questions. So yes, that in a nutshell is ACID test. 
Oh, brilliant. Well, thank you for, for sharing those secrets with us, Katie. That's wonderful. <laughs> and fascinating, as you say, this, this issue of shared understanding, shared meaning, isn't it? And you talk, it is about alignment, which we know is something that organisations are struggling with and where internal comms could, could help come in with that. Because as you say, we can all answer the same structured question and in, in a variety of different ways. And actually finding out where we come together and where we don't, I think is fascinating. So I guess from, from the experience that you've had with Acid Test and the work that you've been doing, um, what do you think are those key internal communication issues where that internal communication could, could help with, that organisations are facing around this t- topic, particularly, as you say, around shared meaning and, and alignment? You're absolutely right. Alignment is the big issue with Acid Test. So what we often have to do, and it can be a little bit uncomfortable, is go back initially to the senior leadership team and say, unfortunately, having spent quality time one-on-one with you in confidential interviews, you don't agree. You don't actually agree on exactly where this organisation is going or maybe how it's going to get there. So, then you have to work with the senior management team to actually agree, well, what, you know, that you need to coalesce around a set of priorities or a shared vision. I think the other thing it throws up, and I'm thinking here of another quote, actually, I think it's Jim Collins that said, if you have more than three priorities, you don't have any. But often there is this kind of overload of information. And again, it's helping organisations decide what often gets called the commander's intent, you know, what is that single line of where we're going, at least for the next 12 or 24 months? The other thing around acid tests that we find time and time again, and apologies if people have heard me say this before, I've said it more than once, I think, in my career, is that the method is a message. So what we find is that you really do have to listen in acid test. You have to check you've understood. You have to get people to feel confident, to be open and honest with you. And you're also not just listening out for what people think, but how they think. So what are their values? What are their expectations? What are their intrinsic drivers? So we see the same issue time and time again with acid test is that it reveals the power of listening, because we walk away with this long list of quick wins and longer-term initiatives that is going to help drive the organisation forward more quickly. But we also end up with this feeling that, oh my goodness me, people need to feel listened to more often and there's not enough genuine listening that happens inside organisations. So basically what we find is you need to clarify the way ahead, where is this organisation going, and then identify and bridge those gaps so there's better shared understanding between people. I think that's so interesting. Just right now, you know, if you think about where we're at in 2023 and the sheer volume of, you know, the external challenges that threaten the strategy of all businesses, I suspect there's only a small few nationwide businesses that are unencumbered by the external challenges. And I think, you know, from a managing director's point of view, I imagine that the enormity and complexity of all of those converging issues is such that actually, to a large extent, many are consciously or unconsciously 
wishing and hoping that their staff would just do as they were told <laughs> without literally without the need to keep continuing to explain to rationalize to justify etc but of course we have this really really constrained labor market which effectively means that for all employers of all stripes an additional complexity is that leaders now need to listen to your point to fully understand what their employees are thinking about and perhaps until now that has been deemed as uh, nice to have rather than a critical essential component of a healthy functioning organization so I think this issue of alignment misalignment listening, not listening, integrating feedback into strategic decision-taking. You know, it's another massive ask for most, most business leaders who perhaps grew up in a culture where, or, in, you know, a, a sort of a business economic backdrop where this, even though as we are articulating it right now, seems just to be such common sense, but this need to cohere with your entire team wasn't so much of a pressing point. And when we're doing our work within the Institute, something that we find internal communicators say quite regularly is, how can I be taken more seriously or how can my work be positioned more integrally to the strategic direction of the organization so kind of with those observations in mind Katie I wanted to ask if we consider internal communication practitioners specifically what in your opinion are their top three concerns right now it's hard to pick just three, if I'm being really sure. honest. But to sort of frame my thoughts around if I really, really had to pick three, coming back to what you've just said around CEOs, you're right, I think, that it would be nice if we could issue instructions and people would slavishly and sheepishly for sort of follow them. And then that's just simply not the case. And I think one of the shocking things that I often say to leadership teams is, unfortunately, employees do not owe you their attention. Even though you pay them, they don't owe you their attention and you're going to have to earn it. And you're going to have to earn it in exactly the same way as paid for media or shared media tries to earn it. So I think you're absolutely right. I think the only thing I would say is that really smart leaders realise that they are not the smartest person in the room. There's that old adage, isn't there, about the smartest person in the room is the room. And if only we could get all the brilliant ideas and out of the minds of our workforce, then wouldn't we really be putting our foot down then on the accelerator? So, yes, I agree with everything you've said. In terms of challenges, the top one for me has to be at the moment, and maybe it's just because of the conversations I'm having at the moment with clients, too many demands, too little time, budget and resource. So through the pandemic, hooray, everyone realised there's such a thing 
as internal communications is vitally important and we need you in the room and we need you for this, this and all sorts of things that really pushed internal comms up the corporate agenda. And now I think we're in a position where we just have so many demands and it's picking apart what's urgent, what's important, because those things are very different, deciding on your value, the value you want to add as a team. And then when you've decided what your value is as a team within your organisation, then you can decide what you push back on, how you push back and say, no, that's not something we do. So I think just working out what's important, what you're there to do and how to use that finite time, budget and resource so you don't burn out is one of the top sort of priorities and challenges for IC practitioners at the moment. I'm going to throw in a tactical one here, which I wouldn't normally do. But actually, I do think there's something around channels that's happening at the moment. So I think a lot of them, a lot of channels grew up uh, organically, like topsy through the pandemic and through hybrid working. We just had to reach people quickly. And we did that however best we could. And now we're in a situation where I genuinely believe when we talk to clients, there's lots of different channels, overlapping objectives of those channels. It's not always clear what each one is for. And employees are getting a little bit lost and confused in that channel mix. So going back to less is more, clarifying the purpose of each channel. As I say, it feels a bit tactical, but I think it's necessary. And the final one, and it kind of comes back to what you've just said there, Kat, about so much going on, particularly in the external environment. I think we're speaking to clients a lot at the moment about joining the dots. So you've got a business strategy, which is quite complex. You've probably got someone working on the latest version of your employee value proposition, because you're right, in a tight labour market, talent, attraction and, and attention, uh, retention is so important. You've still got corporate values which need life breathing into them. You've got purpose statements, all of these things. How do we, and I think it is our job to do this, knit this together in one clear, compelling narrative that really makes sense? And I saw a fascinating, one of my guests, Jason Antoine, had done some research in America where he'd asked employees, how much time per day would you devote to corporate communications? In other words, not communications doing my job, but the higher level organisational communication. Where are we going? Why are we going there? All those things. And on average, 2,000 employees, so not a small sample, said five minutes a day. So that's really interesting. If we've got, on average, five minutes a day of somebody's time, how are we going to do all that? And that comes back to saying, well... You don't owe us our attention, your attention, so we're going to have to be really, really smart at being very tailored, very specific, very personal, very meaningful. Yeah, so there's, uh, there's a few challenges, I think, at the moment, <laughs> but those, I think, are the top concerns. Yeah, and there's something that's really compelling to me in what you've just outlined, which is that I think, you know, a standardised view of how organisations structure themselves for growth tends to align with kind of house building, like very linear, here's a brick, put it next to this brick, put it next to this brick, oh, we've got our foundation stones, next layer. But of course, humans aren't linear, are they? And 
I, you know, I was drawn when you said knitting communication together. I was pre-imagining what you were going to say and I was thinking weaving together and I think there's something really interesting in the difference between the way that the academic theory of business would have you believe that all of these interdependent parts of business coexist but in kind of siloed form whereas in actual fact in reality a flourishing well functioning healthy business is a swirl like a panoramic swirl of technicolor where there is continuous fluidity between these various groups teams units divisions etc and actually communication the way that we converse amongst ourselves is the glue that harmoniously binds all of that together I think that's a really interesting idea for us all as as internal communicators to just hold because there's the now, which is, you know, this kind of very um, functional approach and perception of internal communication. And then in the future, we kind of know that we need to bring communication to life in a more wholehearted, connective, engaging, flourishing fashion. I don't know what that looks like in practice, but I do know that the way that we think about communication within organisations right now is quite 2D and monochrome and binary, and we need to bring it to life a whole load more. Sorry, that's me just going off on a bit of a a tangent there but to me it all comes down to and I know we've talked about this a lot on the podcast it comes down to if you've got that five minutes of attention which you just cited from research Katie like how do you pack that emotional punch that has somebody at the end of whatever comms channel and I thought what you said there was really really interesting because We're really great, aren't we, at accumulating new stuff, new technology, the brightest and shiniest, but inherently bad at putting things down and saying, right, this is no longer of purpose to us or me. Or, you know, you think about the amount of stuff that's in storage containers in the UK at the moment. That's how bad we are at letting go of things that no longer serve us. But this five minutes of attention... That's a really interesting thing, isn't it? Because we're all very data-driven in our environments. But as we know as communicators, it's the stories that leave an impact in our hearts and our souls. And I think that's that's the magic, isn't it? That's the interplay. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I totally agree with you. And there's so many times, uh, I've, I've said it of my own content team, where you've conveyed a set of facts but you've actually missed the story. I'm thinking back years and years ago, we used to do long service awards. And the, the story would be someone has done 25 years, 30 years. Well, that's not the story. It's never the story, is it? The story is what have I learned? My top five biggest mistakes that I made in the first two decades, that's the story. The service award is, you know, the bottom of paragraph five, even if we get that far. So working out what the story is, and I think that craft, and it is a craft, it's a skill and you have to keep practising it. But I'll push back on five minutes not being very long. If you said to the average brand manager, every single working day, 
you've got five minutes with your consumer, (gasps) they'd bite your hand off. They'd be running around laughing and popping champagne corks. The difference is if you go to that brand manager and you say, well, you've got five minutes, you can say, yeah, well, this five minutes, I'm going to talk to Jane. She's 35. She's got two children. They go to the state school. She likes a yoga class. He will know, she will know everything about that person that she wants to communicate to in that five minutes. And our problem is, and I've said this many times, but if only it was true, we could get that granular and understand that much about each segment and persona of our audience. And there is absolutely no reason why we shouldn't. Because, you know, they turn up to work at our offices, on our sites, in our manufacturing sites, in our factory floors, you know, every working day of the week. We can test things on them often for free. And what's more, they enjoy it. They like, you know, come and tell me what you think of X versus Y, A versus B. We've got this big change. We've worked out 50% of it. Can you work as, help us work out the other 50%? Co-create this with us. Absolutely. And what's more, I'm going to enjoy doing that. That's a, you know, a fun part of my working week is helping you. So I would actually count to five minutes is quite a long time. We just use, need to use it in a really smart way. Love that. Yeah, gosh, thank you. I've left you silent now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I tend to get very carried away. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I'm just, um, I mean, you know, I am just thinking about, you know, the five minutes and what you could achieve. And I love the idea that, as you say, every internal communicator ought to be aspiring towards having that very granular knowledge of their internal audiences and almost you know what what comes to mind and I I say this as a non you know my background is not in internal communication my background is in staffing and one of the things that I used to do and I'm sure lots of good recruiters and headhunters do this as a matter of course is as you are developing a relationship with the people that you serve you accumulate micro details of their lives so you know a little bit like how we started this our conversation today before we came on air you know we established that we both had children we established what age our children were at you know a levels gcse's etc but it is those tiny levels of detail isn't it that, that that you weave into the narrative and the bigger picture that has the capacity for people to feel seen and heard in a way that is utterly connective and binding and that is the power that we have I guess I guess what I'm reflecting on is back to you know you you talked about the channels beforehand sometimes not always but sometimes I um, listen to conversations with internal communicators and they're very driven by the tools and the platforms that they use and I find myself with my ex kind of staffing hat on thinking but that's just a conduit isn't it Mm, it is it is I'm trying to think of an example I can't off the top of my head but I reckon everyone if they ponder on what they seek out and what they enjoy consuming in terms of content it isn't because the platform is slick or shiny it's because they genuinely have an interest in the content and they will pick through their emails on their sort of private accounts 
to find that one newsletter that always delivers something that's interesting, that always causes them to smile or helps them learn something new. You will seek out, actually, even on quite complex channels that are hard to use, things if you're really, really interested. So it comes back to, I think, grabbing the attention and how we really understand how to make that connection. And you're absolutely right about stories. I think there's a lot of storytelling. I don't think there's a lot of story sharing. I think those things are quite different. I had a podcast guest mention that just the other day. So um, I think, yeah, you're you're raising lots of things to, to ponder there about how we actually make that connection. Yeah, gosh, there's a lot, a lot to contemplate, actually, in all of this, because we are at at such an inflection point with work and how we're going to work moving forward. Jen, I know you wanted to um, to add something. Are you, what, what were your thoughts? So hopefully you can hear me all loud and clear, you know, the world of the internet these days. I was just talking about how things have shifted over the years that, that Katie's been doing the podcast. I mean, I've seen a lot of change, but have I seen change in our... Do you think the change has been in our external environment more than in our skill set? Or has there been a both in terms of why we do what we do and how we do what we do? I guess what have been the shifts that you've seen in that time that you've been recording the podcast and the various people that you've spoken to? Yeah, it's been a real interesting journey. So it started back in 19... Uh, sorry, 19. No, not that long ago. 2019. Sometimes it feels like a long time ago. But yes, we've had four years of the show now and over 80 episodes. I suppose the first shift, I would say, is that there's no doubt that the profession has has come of age. I think there's fewer, fewer, and yeah, there's, there's less need now to convince our senior stakeholders, for example, why IC is important. So, and, and as, a, as a result, I think we've grown in confidence as a profession and we've matured. So that's really good news. The other big shift is, I would say, in our understanding of basic human psychology and behaviour. So a lot more of my guests talk about, yeah, behavioural science, neuroscience, I can't, you know, I can count, I probably haven't got enough fingers and toes to talk about how many times people have mentioned, for example, Amy Edmondson's work around psychological safety, or the fact that from a neuroscience perspective, we we think less than we think we do. I think that's the bottom line on, uh, on behavioural economics, certainly. But how we influence and ultimately change behaviour, the mechanics of that and what goes on in our brains is much, much, much better understood. You're right to mention the quality and variety of our tools. I think you're right also to say that we can be sometimes beguiled by the latest shiny, bright thing. I still agree with you that content is king. But it's good that I think we were held back for a few years because intranets were dull, stale archives of information that no one ever visited. And even if they did, they couldn't find anything. The apps, the platforms now, we have a a super slick, which is great. And I think the other shift we've seen over the last 24 months, I'd say, and you touched on this earlier, is the labour market. So 
I was reading a Corn Ferry report the other day that said by 2030, there are going to be 85 million jobs around the world that are unfilled, simply because there aren't enough skilled people to take on those those roles. So there's been a dynamic, quite a structural shift, I think. The power, dare I say it, is slightly in the hands of the employee rather than the employer. So the employer then needs to work out, well... How do we attract these people? What makes us special and unique? What value are we offering? So I think there's a sort of a power shift, a dynamic shift, which actually plays into our agenda because we're all about making people feel part of a kind of cohesive and powerful community. At the end of the day, that's a big part of our job. I would say what hasn't changed is the tactics. We've talked about the craft of telling stories, sharing stories, the power of face-to-face communication and how we make that work more effectively. So there are some basics around the craft that potentially hasn't changed. But I think what has changed is the backdrop and the influence of other disciplines in particular. Yeah, I think this backdrop piece, I mean, the pandemic has brought to the fore a range of trends and kind of turbocharged those trends. And I think, I mean, I would love to... um, Swap notes after the after we've recorded on that corn ferry report, Katie, because the labour market shifts to me are so interesting. And I also think that historically and traditionally, we've taken a very conventional approach to workforce upskilling, whereby the employer kind of decides what future skills the employee needs and allocates budget to ensure that some form of training is applied. Whereas in fact now, the digital landscape's moving so fast that actually the best person to decide their training needs would be the employee. You know, there is there is absolutely the business case that those that, that continuous learning needs to take place in step with shifts and changes in the external market so as to be delivered or applied on a just-in-time basis. And so all of these things, to my mind, heavily suggest that success in the future of work is contingent on actually a relinquishing of hierarchy and a shift towards more decentralised organising and self-managing teams, which requires, in turn, a rethink of leadership and management, but, and, but, and, I always love those sentences, but, and, is contingent on world-class communication internally. So... I think that there's some really, really interesting, not necessarily straightforward or simple, but really interesting dynamics for us to collectively surface and showcase as opportunity for internal communicators. You said something earlier, and I think absolutely opposite. What a golden age to be working in this field because success depends on communication and you know as we're recording 
the headlines are continuing to be grabbed in the media about the risk and opportunity of chat GPT. And, you know, I maintain the view that technology is wonderful, but it is it is an enabler and we could all go to hell in a handcart, but we still need human-to-human communication to tether us on that journey. So looking ahead, what's your view on the future, the emergent opportunities for internal comms? What do you think will be the kind of the, the, the golden nuggets for internal communicators to grasp? I think for me, it's about how we step up, I guess, to take advantage of where we find ourselves. So you were talking about CEOs earlier, and I think it's really interesting. There was a, to cite yet another report. So Spencer Stewart, that that massive executive search company, did a survey recently, and it was around CEOs' ages. And the average age of a CEO now is 55. But 30% of CEOs in the UK are under 50. So that means our senior stakeholders now are Gen Xers and millennials. So in short, the conversations that I used to have 20 years ago, 30 years ago, to leaders around why communication matters, why engagement matters, why brand management matters. All those conversations don't need to be had anymore. More and more of my podcast guests are saying to me, I've got a leader that gets it, quote unquote. But if they get it, which I think many more do, then they're going to want to see us stepping up and delivering results, providing really valuable guidance, coming into the room with an informed opinion, gathering intelligence, turning that into insight to better inform their decisions. So I think it's just recognising this tremendously valuable and privileged position we have inside our organisations. We are the ones to listen to the heartbeat of our organisations, to really understand what makes our organisations tick, to shine a light, you know, into every corner of an organisation. And as we've said quite a few times into the, in this conversation, kind of create, facilitate that dialogue so that everyone feels sort of heard and, and seen and understood. But I'm going to hopefully kind of, well, maybe this, take this even broader and even bigger. And maybe this is my flight of fancy, but you're going to have to forgive me on this. When I think about it, you know, this little blue planet of ours is facing some major challenges, environmental, social, economic. Every single year, the Edelman Trust Barometer, and I'm guessing listeners are going to know about this huge survey of worldwide populations around trust, is saying that people around the world are actually giving up now. They're giving up on their politicians and instead they're turning to business to solve these hugely important issues. We also know from Edelman's data that what they call employer media that's the stuff we create, employer media, is more trusted than other media sources. And I'm always saying to IC folks, that is your licence to operate. So we're in this really important position where working populations around the world want to know what is the role that my organisation is playing to deal with some of these issues of planetary significance and you're in the position to go and help you know, answer that question, create content, 
create the dialogue that actually answers those questions. So on a big picture scale, I think we're in a hugely powerful and exciting position as internal communications folks. Katie, that's, I love that flight of fancy. <laughs> <laughs> that's three cups of coffee, Jen. So I, I think I might stop there and start drinking water from the rest of the day. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I think that we should take that positive look, don't you? I don't think it is a flight of fancy. Yeah. I think it is an opportunity. I don't, like you say, Kat, I think it's totally an opportunity. It's totally something we should be grabbing. It is that there's no longer the argument of, do we have a mandate? We have a mandate. It's how do we use that wisely? And and how do we use that to make the difference we want to do? And, and you know, and I think that one of the biggest shifts we've also had, we think about ourselves personally, and I have these in my personal conversations about how do I feel about myself and what I'm doing and how I live every day and what I, and what I, and how, does it, how does work make me feel on the inside? And I think when you, when you pick those big issues from the environment to social to economic, and we have that trusted mandate, God, that feels really connected. And I think that I would mirror as well those changes from we're in an emotional behavioral world and actually you said earlier the brand manager would love five minutes with a customer you know we can we have that time and we can feel our work which is another thing I always say which is so great about internal comms as as a communication discipline to work within because you're so connected to your audience it is feedback it is a dialogue and I think that we have to adapt and be agreeable to take lessons and learnings and make mistakes or not, not even nothing's a mistake it's just we're trying different mm-hmm. avenues and when you have that connection and that feedback sometimes quite instantly you can course correct mm. or we can provide that to leadership to sort of go it's just not working yes you know here's the insight this is what it means and, and so I absolutely agree with that and I thank you so much for joining us Katie from what we've heard about the importance of alignment the importance of knitting everything together to the, the dilemmas we're facing yes there are too many demands. Yes, our channels are overwhelming, but we also have an opportunity to join the dots, create that simplistic of narrative and build all that together. And and we have that five minute of attention and we build into that neuroscience, that emotional change in where we are. And let's take that. Well, as we say, it's not a fight of fancy. It's a brilliant opportunity. So Katie, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing that with us all. I'm sure all of our listeners will feel very inspired to get on and get out there and take that mandate. Thank you, Jane. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have, please like it and share it with your friends and colleagues on your preferred digital channels. Every recommendation helps us spread the word to build a better, more connected and inclusive future of work. Thanks for listening.